Brother Scott Jarvis, who currently preaches at the Garden Ridge Church in Louisville, where he has been there for the last 16 years. So something must be going good then. That's good. That's good. Um, before that, he was at Eastern New Mexico University, where he was the Bible chair, and he was there for eight years, um, and then served also serving as a youth minister. He has done his time at uh, Lubbock Christian as well as ACU. And he and his wife, uh, Deanne, have three children and four grandchildren. So please, uh, Scott, you have the podium. Well, good evening. I uh, welcome you from the Louisville area and uh, say thank you for the invitation to be here this evening. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, if you want to uh, open your word to that. We're just going to take a look at that this evening. Uh, when they gave me a topic, said, just, just give a message that's an encouraging word. So uh, there's nothing more encouraging than how God introduces himself at the beginning of the word. So we're going to take a look at that this evening. So you probably know this story. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty. Had a great fall. Well, now that's a mess. Why was an egg sitting on a wall? I mean, that just doesn't even make sense, does it? What did he think was going to happen? But this is what the egg does. It sits on the wall, it falls off the wall, and then it puts itself in a position where all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put him back together again. Sounds like a mess. It's a good thing there's a king who can put him back together again. The king's horses certainly can't figure it out. The king's men don't have the ability to do that. But the king, capital K, capital I, capital N, capital G, the king has an ability to put him back together again. That's how the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1. Let me show you what I mean. Chapter 1, verse 2, we are told this. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So think about that description of things. Formless, empty, dark. You ever been there? You ever lost a job? You ever found out you had cancer? You ever lost a loved one? Gone through a divorce? Lost a best friend? Church split? You ever been in that place where it just felt formless? There's no boundary, there's no definition. Don't even know how to describe it. Don't know how to define it. Empty? Dark? That's where we start in Genesis. What's really cool about this is God tells us right off from the start, I'm not walking away from you. As big as the mess can be, as terrible as it is, the Spirit of God was hovering, brooding over the waters. God didn't leave the building. God didn't say, you know what, I, you're, you're such a mess, I can't deal with you. Now, Satan likes to get us to believe that. Why would God want me in his presence? I'm such a mess. Satan wants us to believe the mess is too big for him. 
but that's not what we're taught. A whole universe of chaos, and the Spirit of God hovers. And what's really awesome is when you get to the last verse of chapter 1, as God steps back from what he does between verse 2 and verse 31, he steps back and he views what he's done, and he declares it very good. Somehow you go from a whole universe of chaos and a complete mess that you can't define, it's empty, it's dark, somehow you move from that in 30 verses, 29 verses, you get to this place where he, God himself, the king, steps back from it and says, it's very good. How'd he get there? Well, that's what happens between verse 2 and verse 31. As God's presence is there, you have this encouraging word that is given, right? You know the definition of encouragement. It's to build up. So that's what God does. He takes his word, he speaks his word, an encouraging word, into the chaos, into the mess, and he starts to put order to it. He starts to fill the emptiness with something good. He instigates the idea of light and brings that into the darkness. He starts speaking this order into the chaos that's there. This should be real personal for us. This is how God introduces himself. It doesn't matter how big your mess is. It doesn't matter what chaos is in your life. I've handled a universe of chaos. Spoke into it. Blessed it. This is how God reveals himself. Of all the things that God could do to say, here's who your God is, this is what we find out in Genesis chapter 1. We have a God who is powerful. We have a God who is capable. When Genesis 2, we find out how loving God is. I don't have time for that this evening, but maybe some other time we can talk about Genesis 2. But this is the picture that God gives from the beginning is it doesn't matter how messed up you think your life is. I have an encouraging word for you. You know who the word is, don't you? The word who became flesh and dwelt among us. I have an encouraging word for you. A word that will in, speak into your life and will take the darkness, the emptiness, all the formlessness, the things you can't even describe, the things you can't even speak into words, and I'll give you a spirit who knows the deep groanings of your heart, and he'll interpret those things. I'll give you an encouraging word to speak order to the chaos. We call what happens in the next verse, several verses the six days of creation. It's really way more than that. In fact, creation is only the vehicle that God uses to say, let me show you who I am. Let me show you the relationship I want to have with you. And so he will start speaking things into order. Now, this is really important that you grasp this idea that he doesn't just fix it. He could. He could just speak to the whole chaos at once and fix it, but he chooses instead to take steps. Day one, he'll produce light. Day two, he'll separate waters from waters. 
He starts speaking into these things, and he lays out this order that you can see on this screen behind me. Day one, light. Interestingly, day four is objects of light, sun, moon, and stars. Day two, separate the waters from the waters. There's the heavens above and the waters below. Day five, you create those beings, those animals, that the birds who fly in the heavens above and the fish who dwell in the waters below. Day three, you have the dry land and then the plants. Day six, you have the animals who live on the dry land. You've already created the fish. You have the animals that live on the dry land who use the plants to sustain themselves. There's a symmetry to all of this. There's an order to what God is doing here. And as he does it, he doesn't do it just by saying, well, here it is. He does it by process, one step at a time. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes I'm impatient I mean, driving over here, I had to wait, you know, at Coit Road for a while, and I was thinking, I hope, hope I get there okay. I'm impatient sometimes. And God, God speaks into that right here through the very beginning and says, look, your life wasn't designed to be a bunch of miracles. You have a problem, I step in and fix it. You have an issue, you just cry out, I fix it. Life is more process. One step at a time. You know why it's process? That's faith. What God wants from us is to walk with him. To trust him. To believe in him. To believe in his word and how his word operates in our life. To build us up. To make of us something beyond what we can imagine. Something that's designed according to who he is. And so he from the beginning says, I'm probably not going to work in your life by just fixing things for you. We'll walk through it. We'll take a step. And then another step. And you may not understand how the steps work. You may not know where this is going. If you're on day three and you've got plants but there's no sun, you might look at that and say, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would you create plants when there's no sun to sustain them? Shouldn't you have created the sun first? And we'll, we'll oftentimes look at what God is doing in our life and go, you know, God, if I was running the universe, I think I have a better order for this. And God will say, hang on. You're only at day three. We'll get there. There'll be a sun, but that's day four step. You got to take day three step before we get to day four step. You got to trust me with the little things that come first before we can get to the bigger things that come later. It's hard to trust God that way, isn't it? One step at a time, not knowing where it's going. Oftentimes it doesn't make sense. God just keeps walking with us, calling us into this walk with him. What he would say to you is, watch, I'm going to turn this into something very good. You may not see it right now. You may be stuck on a day wondering what's going on, but, but I'm going to do this. Let me show you something else he does here. He, um, he's unpredictable. 
right? If you go through these days, and I'm going to let you do that. We don't have time to do that by me reading it. But you go through these days, what you will find is when he creates the light, he steps back from it and he goes, wow, that's good. But on day two, he never expresses it's good. On day three, twice he says it's good. He creates the dry land, that's good. He creates the plants, that's good. Day four, day five, day six, one time each day, he says, and it was good. What's he got against day two? Now, we know day two is good because after day six, he steps back from everything he created, and he says it's very good. So obviously, day two is good. But for some reason, he doesn't say that in the midst of day two. What's he doing? Well, this is what I think he's doing. I think God is laying this out there to say, you can't always predict me. And you can't always predict what I'm doing. And you may have some days that it doesn't feel like there's any good in it. There may be some steps of faith that I ask you to take that you go, where's the good in this? It's there. Ultimately, it will be very good. But you can't see it on that day. But you know what's awesome is you might also have days like day three. I mean, it's not just good. It's good, good. It's doubly blessed. Man, give me more of those days. Right? Those are the days we really want, right? God, I want those days where it's good, good. And God's going to go, yeah, most of the days it just be good, right? Settle for, once in a while there'll be the double blessed days, but, but just settle for the blessing each day. It's good. Boy, it's hard to walk with God when it doesn't feel good. It doesn't seem good. It's easy to walk with God when it's double good. Yeah, you're my God. It's hard to walk with him when it's not. God then decides to make a being according to his likeness. You get down to verse 26, and all of a sudden, God starts talking in the plural. Let us make man in our image. He hasn't said that at all during anything else that he created. When he created light, God created light. Now, technically, the word God is the word Elohim, which is a plural word, but, but you don't have let us create light. You don't have let us separate the waters from the waters. He doesn't say anything like that until you get to Verse 26, and all of a sudden, he starts talking in the plural. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Who's us? Well, we good church people, right? We call it the Trinity. But if I'm, only, if I'm at the point where Genesis is taking place, well, what's he talking about here? Well, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We would call that the Father, the Spirit of God, in verse 2, was hovering over the waters. Well, now that's different than the Father. That's a different part of things. That being who later in the New Testament will be told, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? That Word we know as the Son, Jesus. And then since we, hence from that, we come up with this idea of the Trinity, triunity, the three that are actually one, but it's made up of three parts, and the three function together in such cohesion, such community, such respect for one another, that they operate as one. 
one God. That's the design up here. He decides to create a being according to his image and his likeness. So he doesn't create one being, he creates two beings. Male and female, he created them. According to his image, according to his likeness. And maybe you can already connect the dots here, but the male and female are meant to function as one. We call that marriage. But they're not meant to function alone. The three are supposed to function together. Male, female, with a relationship with God. All of God. Father, Son, and Spirit. The three working together as one created a being that would be the three working together as one. According to his image. According to his likeness. It's the very blueprint of who we are. We were created for community. We were created for interdependence. We were created so that we would function well with others. It's not good for man to be alone, he'll say in chapter 2. And he'll create from the rib of man the woman. But we already know in chapter 1 that the woman was going to be a part of it because that's what he tells us in chapter 1. This is the blueprint Male and female working as one with a relationship with God and the three function together as one. So you have this being created in his image. Independence is the serpent's greatest lie. You don't need God. You can be God. You don't really need each other. You don't need anybody. You can do this. Independence is his greatest lie. It goes completely against the blueprint that God has given us from the very beginning that we were created to function. You don't believe me that's the way it's supposed to work? Take an infant, separate it from everybody else, and just leave it. See what happens. It cannot function without help from something else. That's the way we were designed. And God lays that out for us from the very beginning and says, here, here's my encouraging word to you. You are meant to function with me. No matter how big a mess your life becomes, I've got an encouraging word for you. We're meant to be together. And I can take your chaos and I can turn it into something good. Well, along comes the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, and the serpent tests all of this. The serpent wants them to question what God has said. Did God say you can't eat from any of the trees? No, God didn't say that. We're allowed to eat from the trees, just not that one tree in the middle of the garden. Don't eat from it or touch it or you'll die. Oh, you're not going to die. God knows the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened You'll be like him. You'll know good and evil. Man, what a lie. First of all, we already saw in chapter 1, they were created already to be like him. They already are like him. It's a complete lie. Don't eat. If you eat the fruit, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. They're already like God. Why doesn't God want them to know the difference in good and evil? 
Oh, it's not that he doesn't. It's just that he doesn't want them to cut him out of the equation. Hey, if you eat the fruit, you won't need him anymore. You'll know good and evil. You can be like God. But they already are. Remember the blueprint? Genesis 2, which we don't have time for, is about God providing everything we need pertaining to life. Every basic need is covered in chapter 2. Every basic need, God sees it, operates in it, and provides for it. Everything you need to live. So that we can not only see how powerful God is in chapter 1, how in control he is, how competent he is, we can also see how loving he is. Did you ever say this prayer as a kid? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Well, you were praying Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1, God is great, all-powerful, speaks the, the chaos into order. And Genesis 2, God is good. He takes care of our needs. He loves us. We get to chapter 3, and serpents getting them to question that. They already have it all. But what the serpent wants is for the chaos to return. And in order to bring the chaos, you have to separate them from God. So he gets them to question, what did God actually say? The word of God offers you life, purpose, direction, a blueprint for your life. It offers you all of those things. Questioning it can be a problem. But the serpent's aid, aim here is divide and conquer, where they think they don't need God anymore. So you take this blueprint picture right here, right? And uh, go ahead and put that next one up there. And you have a separation that takes place. They heard the sound of the Lord God in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from him because they were afraid, because they were naked and they were ashamed. Wait, who told you you were naked? You never hid from me before. You never had any reason before that you had to hide from me, that you were afraid of me. I've always taken care of everything. But this was the serpent's aim, divide and conquer. If you eat the fruit, you won't really need God anymore. You'll know good and evil. You can just quit asking him, do it yourself, which is what Satan always tries to get us to do. Do it yourself. Independence is a lie. Sad that we have a country that's based on that, don't we? And the further, the, the more we embrace that, the further we get away from our dependence on God. It's exactly what Satan wants. But he's not satisfied with just separating them from God. He wants to separate them from each other, too. Verse 7 of chapter 3 says, They ate the fruit, and their eyes were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves and covered themselves. Which is really a sad statement, because the very last verse of chapter 2 was, They were naked and without shame. Completely open, completely vulnerable, completely exposed to each other, with no shame. And it only takes seven verses to change all that. Everything changes when they eat the fruit. Their relationship with God, there's a barrier there. Their relationship with each other, there's a barrier there. Satan does what Satan does, divide and conquer. 
Anybody see it? Even when Satan is at his worst, even when Satan does the worst things that Satan can do, God grabs a hold of that and goes, I can do something with that. I will just bring my word into the world and I will hang my word upon this cross. The divider between us and God. The divider between us and other people. Brought by sin, brought by shame, brought by guilt, brought by all those things of independence that we, we crave and lust after. And God says, let me speak into that. I've got an encouraging word for you. It doesn't matter how big the mess is. I can fix that. Here's the catch. You really need to let me speak in your life. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was formless and dark and, 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 and uh, empty. And uh, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So God said, let there be light. And there was light. And the light was good. And God started operating in all of this. But you know what didn't happen? The universe didn't go, no, no, we like it dark. Leave us alone. Unfortunately, as mankind, we have that ability to say, no, thank you, God. I can do this myself. It goes completely against the design. I don't know of a more encouraging word that there is in the scriptures than for the way that God introduces himself to us. That introduction is, I'm fully capable of handling whatever mess is going on in your life. You think your mess is huge? I've handled a whole universe of chaos. I am fully capable of handling whatever enemy is working against you. You think your boss, you think your ex-mate, you think your child is working hard against you and is just overcoming. I've done with, done with bigger. I've fixed bigger messes and I've handled bigger enemies. That's his encouraging word to you. It's how he starts the Bible. And you thought we were going to talk about creation, didn't you, when you saw Genesis 1? Well, actually, we did. We just talked about how creation illustrates our God, which is really what the Bible is all about. When you see a story like that and you go, wow, that's a pretty cool story. I don't know what it has to do with my life. Then you're missing something because the reason it's in there is so you can learn about God and you can learn about your relationship with him. May God bless us in an understanding of how much he cares and what he's done to speak an encouraging word into our life. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for being the capital K, capital I, capital N, capital G, the one who can fix the messes that nobody else can. All the king's horses, all the king's men will try We'll try with our worldly solutions. We'll try with our different ways. But you, Father, you demonstrate from the very beginning of your word, you demonstrate you're the one. So may we be humble. May we recognize our need for interdependence, our need to lean into you, 
our, may we understand the blueprint of how you've designed us, that we were never created to be alone. We were always created to be with you and to be with other people. Father, may we grow in unity. May we grow in community. And may you bless us that whole way. May our eyes be open to see you in everything that we do, Father. It's in the name of Jesus and through the power of your spirit we pray. Amen.